1: Hello, I'm Eddie Gibbs and welcome to another episode of Off The Wall, the podcast where uh, we at Anfield Index give you a little taste of uh, some of the content that comes out uh, over on the paywall side of the channel to Anfield Index Pro. Now, that's something you can get involved with anytime. You can listen free to all the podcasts on uh, on Anfield Index Pro for seven days. You just have to go to anfieldindex.com forward slash join to get that seven day trial now. The big thing that's come out today uh, is the Champions League draw. Obviously, Liverpool saw off Bayern Munich and uh, in fantastic style. And. Uh in, we're into those exciting stages, the business end of the Champions League and the draw was made today. Uh, Liverpool have been drawn at Porto, will play the first uh, the first game at Anfield and then uh, travel to Portugal for the second leg. The other ties Ajax versus Juventus, an All-English tie, Tottenham against Manchester City and Manchester United drew the short straw. They've got Barcelona so uh, best of wishes to them. Now the semi-final draw was made kind of in tandem with that. Uh, top, the winner of Tottenham, and City will play the winner of Ajax and Juventus and the winner of Barcelona Man United will play Liverpool Porto. So setting up uh, some idea of what we may have there in the uh, in the semi-final. So uh, do give us your thoughts on those draws at Anfield Index on Twitter. Uh, we're, we're more than happy to help you. Or join our Discord community. We're at anfieldindex.com forward slash Discord. A great thriving community of Reds fans in there. And it's completely free to join. So so do get involved there. now we have a couple of shows on the pro side and the one we're going to feature today is called Euro incision. Now the shows that some of the shows we do on the pro side feature journalists and Nina Couser, who you will have no doubt heard on the Nina Couser show, which is the, the free side post-match show uh, after every Liverpool uh, league match. Uh, Nina gets the privilege of, uh, of interviewing uh, various journalists uh, from around the, uh, around the football world. And uh, she had, she's uh, kind of a, uh, had conversations with loads of guys over the years, and, and girls, and uh, there's a show called Media Matters, which uh, is a more general show about the journalist about their background in football, and about current uh, Liverpool themes. Now, the other show that uh, features journalists is uh, called Euro Incision, and that happens in Champions League week. So, of course, we've had one of those this week, where uh, Bundesliga journalist... Uh, Writer and broadcaster John Harding, uh, who's been been a long time contributor to the channel, joined Nina for a look at not just Liverpool and Bayern, but also the uh, the other ties in the Champions League that happened this week. And uh, I, I thought on German uh, German teams in general, obviously with them falling all out at the stage of the uh, of the Champions League, all three uh, fell by the wayside in in style, if you like, this week. So there's a bit of discussion on that now. Nina is also back after the draw so uh there's another show so if you go and sign up for the free trial anfieldindex.com forward slash join you'll be able to go and listen to some reaction from the draw she was joined for that by uh Football writer and broadcaster Tom Williams, of uh, who's obviously featured on the shows before, but he's uh, known for being part of the Bleacher Report for ESPN. He also takes part in the Totally Football show with James Richardson as well. So uh, go and have a go and have a listen to that. You just have to head over, as I say, Anfieldindex.com forward slash join. So I'll leave you in the capable hands of Miss Nina Cowser now with uh, with Tom Williams. And here's this week's Euro incision.
0: Hi and welcome to another episode of the Euro Incision podcast. I'm not gonna lie; I thought this might be my last swan song, given the fact that Bayern Munich found some form in the league and they were sort of looking like the team of old. But here I am, Liverpool. You did the job against um, Bayern Munich and might be around for the quarterfinals as well. Lucky me! And joining me on this podcast, of course, as you know, it was pretty much Bundesliga versus Premier League teams in in this sort of a knockout stage so it was only fitting that I bring my favorite podcaster along so Jonathan Hardy welcome back
2: wow thank you so much it's uh it's difficult for for me to be excited about the results but always excited to be on the pod
0: no it's absolutely great having you and of course um we had you on the last show as well and um I want to get your thoughts on this because um, we spoke um, before we went on air, and um, you kind of sounded a little disappointed, and I think that's fair as well. You know, given the fact that there was three Bundesliga teams they the all out, um, I want to get your thoughts. Were you? I want to get your thoughts about first of all the team lineups. I mean, was there any initial surprise on your part from uh, the, the Bayern Munich lineup? Of course, we know Kimmich was suspended, and they had to bring in Rafinha to sort of switch and. Alternate, but um, any other surprises for that starting eleven from um, Bayern Munich's perspective?
2: I mean, Kingsley Coman was obviously not fit, which is why Frank Ribery started. You could argue that that was a surprise because Ribery hasn't really played that much this season, and uh, it's this last year, so you know he's been on the out. I thought it was a shame that that was probably his final Champions League performance, and it wasn't one to remember. Um, really difficult because he's been such a key player for bayern over the years and he had played really well recently in the league so it was a bit odd to see him drop off so so quickly um I thought he I thought, actually
0: had a pretty decent game against tenneup
2: yeah I, I think he did but in knowing what he's capable of and he, he had such a strong yeah such a strong connection with alaba yet yeah, that wasn't really something that was well used by uh, by bayern munich otherwise i thought it was a very you know expected lineup um leon Goretzka Maybe could have started for James, but um, you you have pluses and minuses for both players starting. Um, and as you say, you know, with Kimmich out, I think everything else was to be expected. boating being on the bench and Zula coming back, I don't think is a surprise, um, given Zula's you know, standing at the club in terms of he's now the future of both this team and the Germany national team in terms of the defence. So, no, I wasn't too surprised by the team, um, but I was surprised about how they played.
0: And we'll get to that. I mean, for my part, um, I so the team lineup, goalkeeper fine. The defence. Yep, that's exactly. You must have been surprised about
2: the midfield. That's
0: exactly where I'm getting at, and I want to get your thoughts on this as well because I got a lot of stick from Liverpool fans. I was like, "Why would you drop your best midfielder?" And by that, of course, I'm speaking about Fabinho because Naby Keita was left at home because he picked up a knock, I believe, Um, and he's not played an awful lot of games. I can't really call him the best midfielder. He's probably the one that has the most potential and talent, but he still needs to find his form. He's had a few good games for Liverpool, but by no means is his career over at Liverpool. But it would have been no. nice if he was included. Yeah. Not the case, but Fabinho was dropped. So I was like, to the bench. And it was Henderson, James Milner and genuine Wijnaldum. And John, that midfield away from home in Europe does not work.
2: No, and I I also think it's kind of a stifling midfield. You know, isn't that the kind of midfield you want to play to sort of block the opposition from doing anything? And you could argue that that is a tactic that worked, or that you know is could be successful against a team like Bayern. Not creativity in
0: it as well, though.
2: But yeah, but it stops you being creative. I yeah, think. exactly.
0: That's what I said. I go. It stops us from being creative yeah, because exactly. our front men don't get supplies, and if the fullbacks are not having a good game, which they didn't, and we will get to that, you are absolutely screwed.
2: Yeah, and then basically you rely on the individual talent of uh, Firmino, Salah and Mane, which, you know, fortunately for you, worked and was enough. Um, but maybe, maybe the biggest uh, reason that Liverpool ended up winning this game is that Jordan Henderson had to come off after 13 minutes.
0: You know what? That is, um, again, uh, much debated, but I actually, um, you know, took to Twitter and I said, why would you leave your best midfielder on the bench against Bayern Munich? You know, it's not Burnley where you can play Adam Lallana or, you know, you can, you can, you can, <laughs> you can drop players and you can do things. This is Bayern Munich. You know, they are a, a beast in Europe. They always make the semi-finals. They are, they are no joke, right? They, they aren't. No, I don't no, care no. how bad they play. They are no joke. You take them seriously and they deserve respect. So I'm looking at that midfielder and I'm not thinking, you need to win this game. It's not like you're 5-0 up from the previous first leg, you know, for him to make that kind of call. Yeah. And I was like, you you must win. They want to win as well. It's essentially a cup final, in a sense, because everything to play for in one leg, of course, there's an away goal advantage, we know that, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. All teams are there to win. And you don't play for being here. And then you get people saying to you, is well, Klopp knows better? And who are you? And you, you have to deal with that. And it, And it's just like, well, no, I'm a massive Klopp supporter, but I've also been watching the game long enough to kind of know that that doesn't work and is there anything wrong with questioning the decisions
2: oh so you're entitled to your own opinion yeah I mean, goodness,
0: and I'm not being gracious. funny I'm not being funny I question my mum you think I'm not going to question Jürgen Klopp
2: yeah exactly exactly I, I yeah. question
0: everything if I think somebody's doing something a bit sketchy like John if you were going to make a decision and I didn't think it was quite right you tell I, me I would be like are you sure you want to do this I mean exactly. it's not like Jürgen Klopp's listening to me first and foremost it's <laughs> just my fucking opinion right people maybe and, it is maybe yeah, and, it is and you're right fabinho came on john and um and of course you know things started to you know change a little but i think one of the key takeaways from the first half was i thought both teams looked quite nervy and cagey
2: yeah it was a bit of a strange game i thought the quality overall was a bit lacking you know um and maybe it was a case of both sides cancelling each other out um there were so many different ways for Bayern to approach this they could have done a liverpool and really gone for it in the first 20 minutes which i think might have been a favorable option it's always easier in hindsight, but there's something to be said about being at home and, you know, going for the jugular in the first 20, 30 minutes. Why not? You have I would have thought
0: they'd be bouncing with confidence as well, given the fact that they absolutely destroy Wolfsburg. Yeah, I
2: mean, go. yeah, exactly. And you've mm-hmm. got, you know, Ribbery coming off three assists in 30 minutes in that game. You know, like, go for it. Give people the opportunity to, to continue that stretch of confidence. I don't... I was a bit surprised that... Or maybe not, given that this is the first time for Nico Kovac in this situation as a coach, but that he went a little bit more conservative. And so did Klopp. It was like both, it's like a chess game, but a very slow one.
0: Both of them scared um, to lose rather than win, if that makes yeah, sense.
2: And it was, no one wanted to make a mistake, which is ironic because Neuer makes the mistake that leads to the first goal. So it was funny how the game was set up, you know, waiting for someone to make that error and then see if anybody would take advantage. And And the flip side to
0: that, Robertson makes the mistake for the equalizer.
2: Yeah. And, and exactly, you know, it was one of, I mean, you know, you can have a conversation about how all goals are scored from mistakes, but these were sort of glaring errors where you would expect the player in question not to make those mistakes, especially in a game where you've basically both managers have said, well, we're going to wait for the opposition to make the first wrong move. And it felt very odd because ultimately they just cancelled each other out. There wasn't very much dynamic running or direct play I, I didn't feel like there was any you know very many neat passes moving forward or anybody looked particularly exciting very often mm, that um really off. yeah it was it was a bit strange um
0: there's more unforced errors in that game than a tennis match
2: yeah <laughs> yeah that's a good way of putting it
0: it was just absolutely bizarre but of course you know you're speaking about the goals and Uh, Of course, two were in the first half, despite both teams being nervy. And I love the fact that you kind of hit the nail on the head, that both teams were so scared to make a mistake, and both teams kind of did make a mistake. But I think we've got to go to the first goal. And, of course, um, that ball by um, Virgil van Dijk to uh, Sadio Mane. I know it's a Manuel Neuer kind of mistake, but Sadio Mane on that turn, it was Dalglish-esque.
2: Yeah, I mean... Neuer said afterwards that he said, I can understand if people say that it doesn't look good on my behalf, but he just did really well with it about Mane. And I think that's the best way to go about it. But I think also Mane's brilliance in that situation, and it is brilliance, isn't brilliance if Neuer isn't there. I mean, that's the simple way to look at it so far as I'm concerned. I mean, I just don't see the need for him to come out in that situation. Um, He feels the need to put the pressure on there. And he said afterwards, you know, if I come out, put pressure on him. Um, if I'd gone, then I would have been able to sort of, you know, make a difference, but he does the turn and then I have no option. I, I'm sort of out of play, but you take that risk. If you go to ground, he'll go round you again as well because you're even less, you know, flexible in that situation. I, I just don't think he needs to come out. Um, but but does a brilliant job. And there's something to be said quietly, probably amongst Liverpool fans in this game, that a player five years ago who was playing for Southampton has come on to be one of your biggest performers. I mean, everybody talks about Mo Salah, rightfully so, and Roberto Firmino coming from the Bundesliga and having such a great engine and pressing, and Virgil van Dijk, you know, best defender in the world, no doubt about it. But Telemane quietly is probably the best one of the best forwards out there and in terms of what he does. And there's an argument to be made that he's definitely the best player from Africa. And and I think that's quite an achievement for a player who five years ago, people would have been like, yeah, he's decent. And he made himself completely priceless in this game.
0: And it's so mad because um, I don't think I've had this conversation with you, but when we actually signed Stardio Mane, I was like, hmm. you know, of them, yeah, of like, course, because oh, it's one of those, player isn't it? from Southampton again, you know, we've been bent so many times here. <laughs> and also, you know, there was also there was also talked about how inconsistent he can be in the league and stuff. But um, you're absolutely spot on to say that he is quietly um, just absolutely bossing it and killing it. And Liverpool fans now are sitting up and taking notice, you know, at the fact that this guy has actually stepped up from the turn of the year. He's just been a completely different player um Morsela and you know this was to be expected he was not going to repeat or maybe of the goal of scoring of last season because he would be a super freak but one thing i do love about Mosala is the fact that he gets involved he's very much part of the mix he might not score but he has some kind of involvement we'll get to the, to Sadio Mane's second goal later on but he's he's a handful and because players are aware that he's that kind of threat sometimes he kind of pulls defenders away which gives space for our other attackers absolutely And, you know, we had Luis Suarez for that, um, you know, in the 13-14 season who would literally just hound and harass so many defenders and you'd be like, oh God, you you can't let Luis Suarez have the ball there, you know, he's going to be dangerous to the point where, you know, Daniel Sturridge and Raheem Sterling would be completely free to take the ball and score. And you know that's what um, somebody like Marcel Mar- does. But you're absolutely spot with Sadio Mane. He is scoring so many goals. He is, his finishing is really good. I mean, don't get me wrong. He will have a little clanger. He had one against Burnley. It was easier to score yeah, than that. this. Yeah, but he made up for it. And um, he's just been absolutely in, in incredible form. And I, I don't really believe in rumours and such things. But there were strong rumours at the turn of the year that he got married um he's a very private guy we know very little about his life which I love but apparently he got married and since then he's been a completely different player. so people if you're listening and I said this to our subscribers in discord yesterday if you want to change your fortunes and you just want to be better at everything just get married because it's working for Sadio Mani. Um,
2: <laughs> there you go life tips with Nina Couser
0: yeah absolutely and I'm not really fit to speak on such a subject on such a subject but <laughs> here we are and um, preaching but yeah he he was absolutely incredible I thought the finish was brilliant I love the fact that he kind of told Virgil van Dyke where he wants the ball and you in the past have compared him to a quarterback when you've seen him in the flesh and that ball was just perfect yeah, I
2: mean if there was anything to take from this game there were so many things to take from this game but Virgil van Dyke it's almost like 75 million wasn't enough for Southampton to ask for. Um, Just an absolutely monstrous performance. And uh, not even for the first time this season. um, Just once again, proving the value of having someone like that in your defense. Because I think it also raises the performance of everybody else. I mean, Joel Matip has been a bit of a wobble um, ever since I remember watching him at Schalke I don't know I haven't watched enough Liverpool to say how he's done
0: he's actually my favourite partner for Virgil van Dijk after but, when, you know when Gomez got injured
2: yeah, he I mean, has really stepped
0: Gomez.
2: up yeah I mean I'm a big fan of Joe Gomez I think he's done really he's really benefited from van Dyke's presence mm-hmm. but yeah Matip hasn't had it easy obviously you know but with the, uh, originally with the idea of him becoming a solid part of Liverpool's defence and then injured and then you know Van Dijk basically dominating and other players getting ahead of him in the, in the pecking order. But I thought as a whole, you know Liverpool's, Liverpool's performance is always raised when Van Dijk is there and I think that was noticeably different from the first leg when he was missing.
0: I have to agree with you. Um, you know, I was very nervous about the thought of not having Virgil under control. Yeah, it's it, like, like, it's
2: almost like you know, you go into a party, but you don't, you forgot your keys, or you know, like you for, you know, you forgot your wallet, or you know, it's like you're out, or you go out in, and you realize you didn't put your coat on. You know, it's like that insurance. You I wouldn't
0: do that. I'm always cold. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you, you know, you you always yeah. feel comf- more comfortable. Yes. When you know he's around. And it's so rare these days that you can have a defender like that who consistently delivers. I mean, he's he's great in the one-on-one situations. You know, there's no doubting his leadership. Um, he's great in attack. He's great in the air. It's so hard to uh, to find a weakness in his game, um, and he's quick as well. So, you know, has certainly benefit from it. The whole of Liverpool's defence has, and even though that that own goal just before half time felt a little bit um, like classic Joel Matic because he's he's been guilty of scoring quite a lot of own goals for Schalke over the years when he was he there. He
0: scored one in the first leg as well, if you remember.
2: Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, And he's got a habit for it. So I think Bundesliga fans are not surprised that Joel Matic was the, was the goal scorer for, for Bayern Munich. But...
0: And he's even modern-day Carragher because Carragher used to score loads of own goals. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, does feel a bit like that. Um, but even that, I mean, that goal... Yeah, maybe Bayern deserved it. Um, On the balance of half, on the first half, I mean, you could argue that the first half deserved to end level because neither side offered too much. I thought after Liverpool, I thought
0: before the goal, Liverpool decided to get into their rhythm, then they get the goal, and then this they decide to go a bit sketchy and patchy again. And yeah, and Bayern put a little
2: pressure on. Mm -hmm. I thought that equaliser was. Not deserved, well, maybe deserved, it just on the balance of the first well.
0: half. It came out of nothing. Napri just had Robertson on toast. I'm sorry he did. And that's, yeah. that's where I would put the error to because Matip had to stick his boot out because Lewandowski was not going to miss yeah, him that. He's
2: just going to score otherwise, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but it's funny because that first half then income is sort of contrast to the second half. I think Bayern were in a perfect position in many respects at half time because they'd scored the most recent goal of the game.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And they they knew that Liverpool at that point were going to be content to sit because they knew Liverpool were going to go through if the score stayed the same. And that's where I think criticism of Niko Kovac can be justified. Robert Lewandowski said afterwards that he thought they were too defensive in both legs. Um, I think there's a there's a strong argument to be made that this was the worst way for Bayern to exit the competition through the eyes of Niko Kovac because it, it really makes him look worse than he is. The you said approach, that
0: as well, didn't you, in the previous part? You said go yeah. out attacking, at least people might respect
2: Exactly. And yeah, yeah we but, did talk about it at the end mm-hmm. of the first leg, and, and I think that's such an important point to make is that if you go out at home and you went for it and Liverpool scored two goals in a break, people would say, Okay you know what, you exposed yourself at the back, but you were trying, you went for it. And I think a lot of people would have had a little bit more respect for, or understanding, maybe less respect, but understanding. and, And Bayern fans might have been a bit less, I don't know, depressed about the manner of their exit if they had felt their team had really pushed Liverpool. But there wasn't any of that. And I think in the second half, particularly for the first 15, 20 minutes, there's a really good opportunity there for Bayern Munich to get the second goal and force the question on Liverpool because it's clear to me that this Bayern Munich side can absorb an opposition. They did it so well at Anfield and arguably in the first half, other than one mistake by a goalkeeper, Liverpool didn't have a chance. So if, if you know that, then take the risk, as it were. Be more aggressive. I mean, he brings on Coman at heart, like, on the hour mark. There's an argument to be made he should have brought him on at half-time. But, you know, go, go for it. Go for the goal in the first 20 minutes. If you don't get it, then set reset back to a conservative approach. But if you do, you're forcing the question on Liverpool and you know at home with Javi Martinez, uh, Mats Hummels, Thiago, Nicolas Sula, that you have players who can... Do that job because they proved it in the first leg.
0: Do you think Müller's um, absence in both legs was a massive factor? Because I do.
2: I don't know. Thomas Müller has played well in the last two games, three games, uh, having not played well for most of the season and arguably not really played well s- in a couple of seasons. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that he, his absence was really noticeable um, I can understand the argument absolutely but says Nabry is definitely the one of the most important players on the Bayern Munich team now going forward and he, there had, was a he lot had
0: Robertson's um, um, you know, he did he had his number for, in, and he's leg, had, in he's had
2: so many players numbers just because he's fast but also because his end product is great mm-hmm. um, and his one-on-one dribbling is really good he's, he makes good decisions in those areas as well you know whether to cross or to shoot I, the, the thing about Bayern is, and this is also part of a wider Bundesliga conversation that we'll get onto later, is that it, it does—it it is a bit of an era-ending moment for, for this club in some respects because I'm not sure Hammers will stay. Frank riberys that's his final Bund, uh, Champions League game for Bayern Munich. Ian Robben, he's gone as well. And that—and maybe Lewandowski's gone as well, 29 games. You know, if you look at his last seven Champions League games, he hasn't scored since scoring against, uh, I think, Bersiktas um <laughs> at home in last year's knockouts um Gosh. so he's AB he scored 8 goals in the in the group stages this season so he loves a goal in the group stage but he doesn't score in the knockouts so there's a, you know an argument to be made that maybe the club need to move on from him as well um you know this does feel like a team transitioning away from some very big players who have been a part of this club and their identity for so many years.
0: Um, Has it been a case of Battle of the Eagles as well? Because
2: I don't I, know. I'm from the
0: outside in, and I always kind of think there's big egos in that dressing room.
2: I mean, there absolutely are, there's no doubt about that, and I think that's part of the reason that Joachim Löw decided to get rid of Thomas Muller, uh, Matt Somers and Jerome Boateng from Germany team, because I think there's also a social aspect there of controlling the changing room. If you want a new younger generation to come through, you know, there's also probably a political aspect there in, in telling those three not, not to be, that they're not involved anymore. Um, I think there's certainly an argument that that, that could be the case at Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich has always had egos though in their changing rooms mm-hmm. for, you know, basically since the dawn of, dawn of the club. But I don't, I think the big question is how does the manager handle it? And I, I really think that this question is not talked about enough. You know, this is the first time Nico Kovac has been in this situation. Knockouts of a Champions League against a top opponent mm-hmm. under the pressure of having to manage the expectation of being Bayern Munich head coach. It's not easy. You know, he's learning all the time. He doesn't know how Frank Ribery is going to react to being brought off after an hour. He doesn't know how to deal with being 1-1 one, one at half time in a game that's really on a knife edge. Do I go for it? Do I not? Do I play conservative? How does he react? He hasn't got the experience to be able to say, okay, we're at home, maybe I should go for this because you know the last four seasons that we've been in the Champions League, we've been too conservative. He's still learning in that position.
0: It's very true. I mean, you look at some of the season man- seasoned pro managers in, in the Champions League. For example, a stereotype would be like Diego Simeone, who's very defensive and of course we know they lost. But The way they were playing, they were kind of set up to not score, but not concede. I know that backfired beautifully on them. But when you think of a Diego Simeone team, you think defensive. You know? Yeah, of course. And here is a guy who still has to figure out his style of play in Europe.
2: Yeah, I mean, he he played, I think his play, that you watched that first, like we talked afterwards. It was basically the Frankfurt approach that he had when he was there revamped with better players. And it is effective. And I think he knows that he can play that way. It's not very attractive, but it is effective. I think he knows he can play that way. But the problem is, or the bigger question is, can he play attacking football? And on the evidence of this, no. Um, When you look at both legs, I think somebody said it. How many shots did Bayern have?
0: Two, I believe, right?
2: Yeah, right. On target? I mean, Mm -hmm. for a team like Bayern Munich, with a player like Robert Lewandowski in attack and uh, three players behind them of Naby, James and Ribery, Hammers and Ribery, I mean, you, you... you have to say that two shots is at woeful. Um, and I think that's the bigger question mark for Niko Kovac because you have to be able at the top level to change up from a solid defensive base that puts you in the game. There's 45 minutes to play in the Champions League round of 16, second leg against a side that might win the Premier League title and that made the final last year. And you've given yourself the best chance with 45 minutes left to play. There has to be an approach at half-time there where you say, right, we're going to go for it. We're going to go for it. We're going to play 20 minutes, all out, full attacking, high press, win the ball back, make it uncomfortable, unsettle Van Dyke, get in behind the wing-backs. And this would and make just so
0: much sense because they were already out at that point, right? I mean, Yeah, exactly. You're already losing. Yeah.
2: So you. go for it. And um, him not doing that is is a, is a problem. And it, that's the biggest question, Mike. That would be the, the mark against him in the book because he had the chance to do it and everything up until that point I would say was fine you can approach the game that way you can approach the tie that way he'd set himself up or set the team up to give his team a chance but really other than the one Nabury cross on the hour mark to Lewandowski that was just beyond him there was nothing there was nothing in the second half and uh, that's just not good enough because Liverpool sensed it and Liverpool have been here before they're smarter Klopp's got more experience and ultimately um They made it count and they said, oh, well, you're not going to attack us, then we'll score the second goal and basically end the contest.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I thought, again, um, the second half was, um, it was actually really frustrating. I mean, you're, you're you're speaking about the frustration from a Bayern Munich perspective, but as a Liverpool supporter, it was quite frustrating to watch because I felt like, again, there was just so many misplaced passes. I felt like there was an element of sloppiness. It didn't feel like a Champions League quality game
2: no but maybe there was an aspect for Liverpool that you knew that you were through so you were waiting to see if Bayern were going to force the question Mm. and simple
0: passes I expect my players to make
2: yeah of course I mean maybe you just get sloppy because for Liverpool that's an unusual situation I mean how often have Liverpool been in a situation where they are not the ones forcing the question they're waiting for the opposition to do so and Liverpool maybe felt a bit like oh well we're through so what do we do here
0: I believe this is the first time Liverpool have gone away on away goals Um, since um they beat, was it Barcelona back in 2006 season or something?
2: So, I mean, before Van Dyke scores the header. So, you, you're yeah. looking comfortable. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a weird situation, right? Mm. That's 13 years. Yeah. So, you know, that's an awful... My 13 years, I don't think any of the current team were anywhere near Liverpool at that point. So, you know, you have to ask yourself the question, how do you go about this situation? And yeah, I mean, Liverpool didn't look comfortable with it and Bayern, and that's what's so frustrating from a Bayern perspective because Liverpool didn't look comfortable with it and Bayern had an opportunity there that if Mm -hmm. they had pressed and had worked hard and had attacked um, in that 20-minute period after the the restart, they could have caught them out. It could have been 3-1 Bayern, but instead, it's 3-1 Liverpool. It is 3-1 Liverpool
0: and of course, they'll speak but I mean, James Milner uh corner Virgil van Dijk he's always in there he's always making a nuisance but he pretty much can do everything i mean he scores a bullet of a header um i think we call him the we call him our captain you know he might not wear the armband but he he definitely yeah. is the leader on and off that pitch in my opinion scores a goal uh, puts liverpool ahead and i think at that point that's when I think all dreams are pretty much crushed for uh, Bayern Munich. Um, it, you know, you're speaking about them not having any intensity before that, but I felt like that was pretty much
2: the. Situation. Yeah, that was that was the point where I think everybody realised and the game was up. Um, you know, you still you still obviously try to have some sense of belief because you know if you get one, then maybe something changes. But with 20 minutes to go, needing. Eating two goals it's uh it's a really difficult situation and uh the problem was up until then there was no suggestion or sign of of life in attack so you know it didn't inspire much hope that for the next 20 minutes there would suddenly be a, a change in fortune in that regard because actually Bayern were just were not good enough going forward and I kind of ironically I felt in the second half that defensive stability of the first leg and most of the first half, other than Neuer's situation, just completely went out the window. It, it's almost like Bayern forgot how to defend, so they forgot how to do what they had shown that they were capable of doing and then, you know, forgot how to attack um, or just didn't and ignored the, uh, the opportunity to do so. And I think that's why so many t- so many people, especially the German media and Bayern fans, will be frustrated because it was kind of a limp way to, to leave the Champions League.
0: Could you kind of draw parallels from maybe that performance and like the German national team in the World Cup?
2: You can, um, but I think there's some some key differences. I think Germany went into that World Cup thinking that their style of football, their dominant possession-based football was going to be enough mm-hmm. to keep being successful. And that arrogant approach from from Löw and his coaching staff um, is not something I think that correlates with with what Niko Kovac has done with Bayern Munich here. I think Niko Kovac hasn't experienced this before. From my personal perspective, obviously I'm not there and I don't know how he feels, but I think he got nervous. And I think when people get nervous, they revert to what they know. And he knows how to play defensive football, uh, reactive football um, rather than active football. And uh, I think he tried to react to, to Liverpool but that was that was the mistake because really he should have been actively going for a goal rather than waiting for Liverpool. And I, I think that's just normal. I think when you're in situations that you don't know what to do or you've never experienced before, you go back to what you know. I think most people do. It takes a special kind of character to say, no, we're going to do something different. And he went to what he knew from Frankfurt and what made him successful there. And that didn't work. Um, and I think that's different to to what love tried to do with germany i think because they went in knowing or believing sorry that what they'd done four years ago was going to be enough and there was a sense of arrogance there whereas i think with kovac it wasn't arrogance i think it was just faith in well this is what i know and I'm hoping this will be enough. I think it was, it's just a lack of experience, whereas I don't think you can say that Joachim Löw was lacking experience when he went into the, the tournament in Russia. Um, I think there are some differences there, but the limp nature of departure mm. uh, for both teams, yes, can certainly can certainly be valid here.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair, but I think for me, um, and I, I say this in, from a neutral perspective, not as a little fan, of course I'm delighted, but you know, if I'm watching that and I support neither team, And you kind of look at this Bayern Munich side and they always make the semi-finals. And you kind of think, well, you should be a bit more experienced. You know, I know Liverpool made the final and Liverpool are like, in that regard, seen as the most experienced team in England right now when it comes to the Champions League because they've made a final. They've got, they almost got to the finish line. But you look at this uh, Bayern Munich team, you know, that has so many great players and they always make the semi-final. And you think you, I mean... I don't have Munich uh, teams that they've played in in the last sixteen um or say the last four years. I don't um but I, I feel like maybe this was like maybe one of their biggest tests that they've ever had
2: yeah i think I think that's fair um over the years, they've had fairly fortuitous draws at and times. Test
0: last season you, rem- you, you mentioned that
2: yeah early I mean early on, it's always easier to get mm-hmm. fortuitous draws if you win the group, you have to get a bit unlucky to win the group and get a difficult draw. Um, But I think you're right. I think there's enough experience in this team to have done better. I mean, Matt Somers has played over. I mean, I can't even think about how many Bundesliga games he's played. He's certainly played enough games in Europe. This was Manuel Noyes' 100th Champions League appearance, I think. Um, Frank Ribéry, he's been around in the Champions League for ages. He's a Champions League winner. Um, Lewandowski, also been around in the Champions League, scored over 55 goals or something in the Champions League. He's, he knows the score here. Hammers uh, Rodriguez the same, Alaba the same. There's enough quality and experience in this team to have done better and that's where I think it's difficult because I think some of the players were not happy with the way that Kovac approached it tactically but then like, you could also argue from a player perspective even if that's the way that your coach wants you to play surely you also have enough experience and you can change things up on on the pitch and try and grab the the control of the game in the second half you know,
0: there was a lot of space in that midfield there was like pats of it and i was like oh my god this is actually really
2: scary yeah you know? and I, I fell apart a bit and i think that's kind of the concern i think that's where there's a collision between the experience and the quality of the players on the pitch and maybe the approach of the coach because there's something that isn't necessarily fitting there at the moment. And then that's where the question about Niko Kovac's long-term future at the club comes in, because is he the right man to take a side like this to the next step? Um, he can still win the double, and maybe that will will give him the confidence he needs to make bolder decisions going forward. But, you know, that's, it's yeah, it's, it's a concern. But I think we have to say one thing, Liverpool are a better team. And I think it's uh, it's difficult for Bayern Munich to ever have that conversation because they rarely have a conversation where they are not the best team um, in a game. It's very, very difficult. Even in, even in the Champions League, like you said, they've been in semi-finals so often. There's very rarely a conversation about Bayern Munich where they are not the best team in a, in a head-to-head matchup. But I think we need to be honest and say that Liverpool were quite clearly the better team. And they quite clearly are the better team with the more experienced manager and the better players playing a more effective type of football. It's 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 as simple as that. And if you don't like the word better, which I can understand, then they have a more experienced head coach or a smarter head coach in this situation. And Liverpool are the more confident side, shall we say, playing the more, the more effective football. And that is undeniable. And that's hard for Bayern Munich to take, but it's also the truth.
0: I think you coming on a Liverpool pod, calling Liverpool better than Bayern Munich, might go down really well. I um, mean, uh, it's the truth. It's the truth. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. I think you're absolutely spot on, and uh, you know, I was quite. It's quite fascinating just listening to you and speak about, you know, you know, Bayern could have, Bayern could have really um, exposed us because I felt like there were certain players, and um, let's get into this real quickly. I thought there were certain players that looked a little spent yesterday, and you know, of course, um, I thought our full um kind of um, neglected their defensive duties. And I thought that was an area to exploit. And of course, he spoke about Gnabry. So, you know, I, I want to hear your thoughts on that one as well. I thought in the midfield as well. I know Fabinho came in and he sort of tightened up a little. And of course, the complexion of the game changed. But if you're actually looking at it, it was a player that you actually praised in the previous part. I think Gini Alden needs a rest. He looked so tired. I felt like he had a bit of a yeah. despairing act yesterday. He wasn't quite himself. I thought James Milner w- wasn't anything. I think he just had a few... um sort of darting, blustering runs in the second half, I believe. And that was pretty much it. Um, You know, again, I I felt like Fabinho was pretty much holding that midfield together um, as as a whole.
2: Yeah, I Um, I was a bit disappointed with Wijnaldum's lack of directness because I do like sometimes when he wins the ball back that he drives forward. But you're right. I mean, he did look tired yesterday. And, you know, that's a concern going forward, depending on who you get in the quarterfinals.
0: He needs the best. I think you know, Klopp is all about rotating the midfield. Hasn't Malala has been, doing- been
2: good recently, though? I mean, I heard somebody say I was, you know, surprised, but I heard somebody say that he played well recently.
0: He had a, a, a pretty all right game against Burnley. I mean, he was inclu- he basically Klopp. We had to beat Everton. This is how it all started. We had to beat Everton, and he takes off. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I've got a real bad memory, people, but I think he took off Sadio Mane. We needed a goal right we needed yeah. a goal and I think he took off Sadio Mane he took off one of the attackers and brings on Adam Lalana and he was totally ineffective so everyone's like what the fuck was that thing? and uh, right. rightly okay. so because it didn't work and then we play Burnley and he starts and he actually has um, he has some involvement he puts in a block he's he's pretty much everywhere where the ball is you know he puts in a performance but and that's good to see because I think it gives Klopp the luxury of Rotating his midfielders. And if we find a level for, you know, Adam Lalana to ex, you know, to bully an opposition and, you know, it's teams like Burnley and maybe Fulham over the weekend, that's awesome, you know, because it, it takes the pressure off some of our midfielders because our team gets injured. And, uh, you know, when you're in a title battle with Manchester City, you kind of need your best players. in yeah, of great games So, um, there was strong talks that he should start against Bayern Munich. And, um, on uh, this is Twitter commentary and you kind of look at it and you think, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, ideally, I would have liked Kater to have travelled. I thought he would have been really quite influential, and influential. Why doesn't Shakiri play? I don't get it. He's, you know, um,
2: He's miles better.
0: Yeah, I just don't get it. I mean, I hope he might start against Fulham and, you know, do some damage early on because he does that. Um, but I think Genuine Rinaldo, you're right, he looked really tired. Um He looked tired against Burnley as well. It's not the fact that he's reverted back to his old self. He's just one player that club hasn't really rotated because he's almost like his go-to guy. He's been our most consistent midfield performer. So mm. as a result, he keeps playing him, but he definitely does need a break because he looked so tired yesterday. And um I would quite happily see him rested against Fulham over the weekend. Yeah. I think that is absolutely important. Um And... I think another player that, um, I thought that didn't have the best of games is a player that you are quite familiar with. And I'm going to say Roberto Firmino. Um, I felt yeah. like he wasn't his usual self. Um, something that he's been quite guilty of this season is he's been quite inconsistent where he will have maybe one good game to, um, to quiet. When I say bad game, I mean a quiet game. It's because he's jumped into the midfield because we've lost the battle. That's what he does. When I can't find Roberto Firmino up top, he is, and he's not uh, sort of bullying the defenders and pressing them and, you know, being an absolute nuisance. So we we called him a shark in the last part because that's exactly what he was doing, but he was yeah. not doing any of that today. That's a good description, yeah. mm. He didn't do any of that last night, I believe. Maybe
2: he's just tired as well. I mean, you are approaching that stage of the season.
0: Mm.
2: It is March and you're competing on all fronts, right? Did he, so... have,
0: did he have inconsistent patches and um, at Hoffenheim because this yeah, I mean, he season younger. Is definitely, he's not
2: the same player yeah. then I mean he's been made into a superstar player at Liverpool he's come on I mean I've said this to you before he's, he's come on in a way I never expected him to from Hoffenheim I thought he was a talented player I thought when Liverpool bought him I thought that makes sense he can do the job that Klopp wants but he's now even better than I thought I think most people ever thought he would ever be so of course he had those those phases at Hoffenheim he probably had more uh, because because he wasn't he was sort of a, a diamond in the rough at that point, but now he's a he's a sparkling jewel of a player. And uh, he's
0: got teeth to match.
2: Yeah, yeah <laughs> he has, and he still probably wears that. What was it? That red velvet blazer that I showed you uh, when he was at the Hoffenheim awards evening, when he was still a Hoffenheim player. Unbelievable swag that player has. Uh, what a man, Roberto Firmino. He's now got blonde streaks in his hair as well, hasn't he? I yeah, can't hold him back, but I think he just looks tired. I mean, it's March, and if you're going to ask your striker to press as furiously as he has for the last seven months, then uh, I think it's going to catch up at some point.
0: For sure, absolutely. I think that again, that's a good shout as well because that is one player as well that, um, you know, I think the front three don't get rotated as much as
2: no, much. and and uh, understandably because who are you going to rotate them with? Divock Origi.
0: Hey, we'll, we'll get to him.
2: I'm still annoyed that you sold Solanke instead of Origi. Literally. I mean, I can understand it for the price. Can
0: I, I, can I just stop you? First of all...
2: I rate Solanke so much I higher. I know you do. I know you do.
0: I know you do. And you know maybe It's because
2: he was so good against Brighton when we watched my team yes. be destroyed by your team. But I, I do just think he offers so much more. And I've seen Divock Origi. I've seen him in the Bundesliga. It's just not Bundesliga. It's not Liverpool quality, I don't think.
0: You know what, though? Um, The few times that he has come on for Liverpool and Klopp has used him... I feel like um we kind of switch it up a little. So, of course, Divock Origi came on in the second half and I smiled and I thought, I got John tomorrow and this will be fun because we'll actually
2: have to <laughs> speak about
0: it, you oh, know? No.
2: Um, yeah, but honestly, but why not have someone like Rian Brewster, right? Where's he? Have someone younger who's got, like, talent or coming through or something. I don't know, you know. What is Divock Origi bringing this Liverpool team, Nina? Tell me.
0: He's actually not that bad, right? Okay, first of all, one he is. Thing. He's not... Let me finish, right? Like, okay, so when you play him up top as as a number nine, doesn't work, right? And and I will agree with you, it doesn't work for him in a stylistic sense as well. What does Karigi like to do, Gags? Um, uh, John, according you Gags, oh my God, because I always argue with Gags. That's the problem. why yeah. are you argue? John and I don't argue, so this is a, like this is like a debate. So you know, You're just it's... I can
2: be Gags for the sake of this argument because you, can you surely... can can do
0: a Wolverhampton accent, yeah anyway, <laughs>
2: No, I can't. I wish I can only do it in a Brummie accent. But
0: <laughs> So um, every time Klopp has used him, he's switched up the front three a little. So when Roberto Firmino was off with that virus, Divock Origi was called in and there was a lot of like, why is he starting? Because Roberto Firmino's out. Why isn't Shaqiri starting? We, we don't know. So anyway, Divock Origi starts. Mane is the number nine. He plays Divock out on the left. What does Divock Origi do? He likes to run on the flank and he likes to cut in. Which I think is quite valuable out wide, not as a as a front man, as the main threat. And I think it worked because if you look at the first um the, the third goal, um he plays that ball into Morsela. He has an involvement.
2: Yeah, I can see the argument there, but I think his movement there has been completely over exaggerated because yeah. he's been Don't, on the pitch seven minutes. And yeah, it was but like I,
0: I love the fact that he comes off the bench and he has an involvement in the goal. You know, to me, that if is you, like if you, t- you're yeah, a positive if you, guy. Yeah,
2: sure. But if you're going to talk about bringing someone on who plays well wide in a front three, then Shakira is a thousand times better. Than I agree Divop, with Archie.
0: you. I agree with you. I agree with you, but what I'm saying is he's not as bad. Don't get me wrong, he's not great. I'm not going to say he's great. And I think in that kind of game, he had Daniel Sturridge on the bench as well. And in, yeah, that, but, and, and in this mean, game... Daniel
2: Sturridge, that's such a strange... like this, They could write a story about Daniel Sturridge's time at Liverpool, but that's the thing about Sturridge I don't get. Who is scoring your goals? Who is scoring your goals if those front three aren't firing? It's not Divock Origi, is it? against Everton if
0: Jordan Pickford's got little arms? It
2: works. Yeah, okay, but that's Jordan Pickford making an absolute hash of things and coming on a massive downward slope in terms of form since the World Cup. But I just don't, you know, Sturridge Sturridge is still a decent player for me. I mean, and and he can score goals. I don't get the goal vibe from Origi.
0: I think, you know what, the problem with Daniel Sturridge, and you know me, John, I really like Daniel Sturridge, but he went off on loan, he came back, and he kind of accepted his role as being a bit part player, a substitute, right? And he bought into how we were playing and he started off the season pretty well. Like he came on against Chelsea and scored the equalizer. He it was almost like accepting the kind of player I am and I'm limited because of my injuries. Because the boy has been so unfortunate with injuries. Yeah, it makes you scared to play. And I get yeah, that. Yeah, of course. I can understand and, that. And then of course, you know, he he has a real good positive start to the beginning of the season. And then Klopp of course puts him back on the bench. And when he came on, I think he came on against Manchester United, he came on and he was completely ineffective. So by the time Klopp has bought him on, he's been kind of a bit of an ineffective so But I mean, in the past, but I feel like you can't expect that sharpness from a Daniel Sturridge if you don't play him. Does that Absolutely. make sense? Yeah, and, I, uh,
2: I agree with you. I agree yeah, with and,
0: you. I, and I feel like that's on Klopp. Uh, you know, it's not on the player. Um, he He should keep rotating them, keeping them, you know, alert. And you know, keeping them motivated because playing keeps a player motivated. I believe that.
2: But isn't absolutely? I mean, that's what they want to do all the time. Yeah. But absolutely. But is there is there an argument then? Instead of bringing off Divock Origi for ten minutes against Bayern Munich, he should be bringing on Daniel Sturridge. I or mean, if if the decision is I want a player to be a wide player and cause problems out wide, then. Shaquille. Bring on Shakiri! But if you're bringing him on for Firmino, because Salah kept drifting wide, right? So I mean, I'll, I know Salah's supposed to be your man in the middle, but I when, don't know.
0: When um, it's mad actually, because when Roberto, they kind of interchange, so you can't. Kind of course, of, they do, yeah you- you kind of keep Mo Salah out on the right because, um, again, the pace um, and the, the kind of act as a double kind of pivot kind of thing for like um, a Trent Alexander-Arnold on that side. And then you put Sadio Mane on the other side with Andy Robertson. And for most part, Roberto Firmino has been our number nine. Since we've got those two attackers in, he has been playing the number nine role. Yeah,
2: exactly. And at that mm-hmm. point, if he's playing a nine, you're bringing Firmino off, why are you bringing on Origi? Bring on storage.
0: It worked well yesterday.
2: I mean, the the reason the third goal happens is because Mo Salah's cross is a gift from heaven. Yes. Not because Divacorji's movement is, you know, bamboozling the Bayern Munich defense. No,
0: it's not, not. But I, I'm just going to give him. You know what? I'm just trying to piss you off because I thought, you know what? <laughs> uh, he's had some involvement. I'm putting that down in my
2: notes. Yeah, Origi, no. no. Honestly, and I'm waiting for the moment that Liverpool get Juventus or something in the next round and Divock Origi has to come on and misses. And I'm like, yeah, there you go.
0: That is like the meanest thing you've ever said.
2: Yeah, because he's not quality enough for Liverpool. I yeah, don't I, think. I
0: agree. Don't get me wrong. When I look at our bench, we could definitely do with an upgrade in some of the quality. I mean, Shakiri is a massive upgrade. I, I completely agree with you. You know, that guy is he adds so much to the attack and he can't. And you of got bends. him for hardly anything, right? Yes. So I mean I agree.
2: But, yeah. but but then play him. You know? I don't know why you're not playing him.
0: I don't know. I I believe that he's been out of form, but how does the player get form? I believe by playing.
2: By playing, exactly.
0: Yeah. I have no um again, you know, one of the Wonderful mysteries of football um, is uh, Jurgen Klopp and how he sort of manages some of the players and you know and when he plays them. I, I can never give you a straight answer on that. It baffles me till this day, and I love the man.
2: Yeah, of course. I mean, I do as well. I have so much time for what he's done. I just really want him, really want him this year to win something, <laughs> because I think he needs to bury it. Mm. Um, he needs to bury the habit, yeah. and uh, he also needs to stop talking about the wind. I'm sorry, but it doesn't suit him. It doesn't look good on him.
0: It doesn't. You know, when he did when he did it, I was like, no, we were just bad. You know, you just sit there and think, stop it. Or the man.
2: dry pitch. Like, stop talking about things. I mean, I'm, I can understand what you're saying, but, you know, it, that's not a reason because the other team has to battle it as well. It's just the nature of the...
0: When did he say dry pitch?
2: Conditions. Oh, oh, there's a game he said once, I'm brave enough to say it. I know people don't like it when I say. I think it was last season. Possibly. I can't remember. Yeah, but yeah it, the pitch was you know really dry. It does sound dry. like something
0: that like, like he'd
2: say. Yeah. Come on, come on now, Jürgen. You know, it, it, it's not a good look. You know, I can understand is that it, maybe it's an attempt to protect his players, I but think ultimately, it is. I think yeah. It is. But ultimately, it just looks silly. You know, like just don't say if you're gonna if you're gonna say oh I don't want to say that my players weren't good enough. You know then and just maybe say it. the
0: other team was amazing or yeah, something. just
2: praise the opposition, exactly, yeah, or just don't say anything, you know, just but don't say the wind was the reason that we struggled today. Come on, it's not like your your game plan was built around long throw-ins, even though I know you have a throwing coach, by the way, which is really interesting, mm.
0: not to be snuffed at
2: though no no, 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 no.
0: No, um we're not Andy Gray and Richard Keyes. You know, we I, I see um, the importance of any kind of coaching staff.
2: Hey, no, I'm a big fan of the uh, the throwing coach, absolutely.
0: Good, good. We won some brownie points back. Right, John, I think we pretty <laughs> much discussed Liverpool at large here. I mean we'll we'll talk about the other Bundesliga teams as well whilst you're here, quick time. Um But first, um I believe there was um after of course this is the last German team to um be eliminated at the last 16, it's not been the greatest um, time for... Um,
2: no, and the first time since 2006 that there's not a German team in the knockouts, uh, in the knockouts, in the quarterfinals, yeah. which is which is damning, really.
0: It is, absolutely. But um, I really don't like the short-sightedness of people's opinions. And we kind of spoke about this, and you tweeted something about, which I retweeted, but, you know, this whole German football's finished
2: yeah, I think it suffers from. It's a, it's a very big conversation, and obviously, for the sake of the pod, we can keep it relatively brief. But you know, you've got to look at you've got to look at the context of the situation. I think people are very quick to jump on this. Well, Bundesliga teams sell their players too quickly, and the Premier League has more money. Okay, yes, it does. But let's have a look at the structure of the Premier League. That's one part of the context. Well, the Premier League, it has a lot of money because in many respects, and I'll put it bluntly, it has sold its soul to capitalism in order to be able to fund these things. I mean, mm-hmm. the, there's no getting around that. Um, and what the Bundesliga has done, and I'm not saying it's a perfect league and it doesn't, it hasn't, you know, it's not free of sin. It has committed its, its, its mistakes in that sense, but it still retains a, a platform or a, uh, a foundation, a structure that isn't that, that is the opposite of that, that affords young players the opportunity, that gives academy players the chance to play first team football and develop themselves. And it gives and it retains a amount of an amount of power for fans to have a say on how their club works. And there's a big contrast between the two. And the thing I keep coming back to is that You can't all be the Premier League. Not every league can be the Premier League. You can't always be the number one, you know, league with the big stars, a top six unit. It doesn't work like that. And the basic fact is that I think the Bundesliga has something very special with its developmental stance. And I think for all the people who are getting frustrated about the fact that players, when they get good, get sold, well, that's also just a fact of football. That happens in every league, everywhere. When players get too good for a team, along comes another team, offers them more money. And A, the individual, the footballer, is not going to say no to doing the same job for 10 times as much money. And B, the club who is accepting the price for the player departing needs that money to live off because it doesn't live inside a model that is built around television money or built around the investment of people who have come in from an outside situation and are now investing billions of dollars into a fo- into a football club. So there's something... In, in a very simplified way of explaining it, it's still do very pure think, about the Bundesliga do, teams.
0: I mean, uh, and I think that's one thing that everyone loves about the Bundesliga, right? The fact that it still holds on to the traditional values and, you know, fans yeah. have a say and have, you know, some hold of their club. But do you ever, I mean, like, of course, none of us can predict into the future, but do you think there'll ever come a time where maybe the fans might get a little sick or they might, there might be a bigger gulf between well, the what you want. teams?
2: It and- depends what you want. I mean, if you like, just
0: want to win, if you just yeah, want to win.
2: But I don't think there are many football fans of Germany who want that, because I think they want to value every. It sounds strange, but everybody needs a code. Everybody needs a set of values. By the way, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not
0: saying this should sell their soul. I'm just saying, you know, like as as a football fan, when you support a team, you want them to do the best. You want them of to course, win. That's what you want. So I was just kind of putting that. But that, across. but that's you know the, like the financial almost.
2: The the finance is one side of that context, and and this is the other side of the context is what I tweeted last night, is that actually let's look at the three teams that represented, or the four teams if you include Hoffenheim in the group stages, um, that represented the Bundesliga in the Champions League this season. Well, Schalke are an absolute mess. They're coming off a season where they finish second. Domenico Tedesco has also never been in this situation as a head coach, and he's dealing with a club who, as I say, are in... A reassessment of their identity, and they are a, that's a squad of players who 70% of whom are not good enough to be playing at a Bundesliga level, let alone a Champions League level. So, you've got to take that into consideration. They were absolutely embarrassed by Manchester City, but it also reveals the issues in the club. Bayern Munich head coach never been here before, so again, lack of experience. And they're a club going through transition, as I said earlier. Those players, aging players, are moving away, they're moving towards a new style. Clubs getting comfortable, they may be about to buy. A couple of players for big money in the summer. Brucey Dortmund, new head coach Lucien Favre. Okay, he does have some Champions League experience, but still, um, this is a situation. It's also pretty unusual for him. That's a very young team who are mm-hmm. full of mistakes and are still learning. They're still in a, at a different point of their development. So again, three teams with young players and you know and or young head coaches in this situation who are growing and developing. Why is this demand instantly? Well, they haven't won the tournament, so German football is terrible. You know, you, you know the oh, Borussia
0: Dortmund result. I believe if that was like, played maybe, I don't know, in, in November, like it was a knockout game in November, like when when Dortmund were in the group stages. I think Borussia Dortmund would have beat them. I think it was a confidence
2: bomb. Yeah, and 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 that's again, absolutely. I totally agree with you. I think it's a confidence thing, but that's linked to them being a young team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and and that's them learning and growing. How what um, it says a lot about I think you know the the broader reaching aspects of expectation around footballness and and football fandom because what is There, there doesn't seem to be anything right about saying, "Oh, well, Borussia Dortmund, you know, I can't believe it. They lost to to Tottenham." And, you know, that that's terrible because really they should have gone through. It's like, well, again, let's have an assessment of this situation. Pochettino has had a lot of experience and he's got a much more experienced team and he's not having to compete unexpectedly for the title like Bruce Dortmund are. He's, you know, his left back and he's, he's isn't uh, a young player who's great going forward, but is learning how to be positionally in, in the defence, you know. This team is still growing. And the same about Bayern Munich. They're transitioning away from older players. And the same about Schalke. They're understanding that they haven't got quality in certain positions. You know, Weston McKinney is great, but he can't carry that team on his own. There are some issues. You've got to remember the context. And I think that's kind of the problem. You know, you can't win the Champions League every season. You know, we talked earlier on the show. You mentioned it. Bayern Munich consistently making the semi finals for so many years. And the first time they don't make the quarter finals, it's the end of the world. Of course, it doesn't look good for German football teams to not have any representation in the quarterfinals of the biggest club competition in Europe. But it's also a logical step. And my my colleague, uh, my friend, uh, Matt Ford, wrote about this last night. It's a logical step this year because of the context of the situation. And I think forgetting that context is fatal because this is a league that offers opportunity. And I think there's so much value in that. It doesn't need to be more than that. And I think that's what frustrates me. You know, a lot of people say, oh, well, if the Bundesliga ever wants to compete on the, on, on the international stage, then it needs to, you know, invest loads of money and buy loads of players. Ajax, anyone? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is possible to do it a different way and retain a model. Uh, Richard
0: Dortmund made a final.
2: I was going to say, you don't even have to go that far. I mean, 2013, look at the way that Dortmund and Bayern did it in 2013. I mean, okay, Bayern are always a bit tricky because they can still invest quite a lot of money.
0: But it's all their money.
2: But it's, yeah, but but basically they've gone about it in a way over long periods of time, that that investment has come from the club's generated revenue, yep. right? So, which
0: is completely you, fine and legitimate. Which,
2: yeah. yeah, and you can't you can't really point fingers. Obviously, they do have investment, so do Dortmund. But there are no football clubs at the top level that don't have sponsorship and investment. You know, you're just not going to find any that are free of that. But the point still stands, and I I would much rather have a football model built around that than I would. I mean, this is just my personal opinion, but that. Uh, Than around the Premier League model, which I think in many respects, yes, Premier League football is 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 even if you just look at it from from a different perspective, is extremely entertaining. It's very attacking, um, and it's and it's great to watch. But I I think there are some bigger questions about the Premier League approach that I don't agree with, and I would much rather be in a situation where the Bundesliga. Is offering opportunities to young players. Look at Jadon Sancho. He he would never have blossomed the way that he has had he not made the move. Reece Nelson on loan from has Arsenal. Him, has
0: Sancho made the England squad? I believe
2: has he, he has. Yeah, it? absolutely. And
0: that's because of the um, obviously the opportunity to play.
2: And that's it, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. Again, it comes back to the basic question, and there's no right or wrong answer to this. But what do you want from football? You know, and I think if you just want to win, then of course you're going to have a problem with the way that Bundesliga teams approach this, this competition or, or their, their model, as it were. But I think if you want maybe something more than that and, uh, you want, you, you appreciate a, a side of football that allows player development and you, you understand that at some point players will get better and they will get very good and then other teams will come along and buy them and, and that's not a uniquely German problem as well I don't you know it's always in times of crisis where everybody says oh you know this is this is something you've got to go for you know I, again I really want to stress that the Bundesliga is not free of problems and that I don't think that change is not necessary I do think it is necessary obviously you know you can't have so few major tournament wins in in terms of club competitions um, now in the last few years and not have problems in terms of competing internationally. Some changes have to be made at the youth level approach. Um, Some changes have to be made at the club level approach. But I do think it's possible without too many changes for German teams to compete again at the top. And, you know, I, I, I think this End of, end, of, end of an era or, you know, talk of a need for change is, is necessary in some respects, yes, but we don't need to be too pessimistic and I think we need to always, always remember the context.
0: I think that's fair. Um, no, thank you for that, John. Um, some big scalps um, in this knockout round I felt were, you know, taken. Um, which one was the biggest shock for you?
2: Manchester United I know that we don't like to use that word on this podcast um but uh I think it's really entertaining I think it for the Champions League I think the Champions League needed this kind of performance in terms of you know teams going through that weren't expected to go through um maybe Ajax actually if I'm honest but maybe that's because I remember Manchester United being so poor for so long this season that I never thought they even had a chance against Paris Saint-Germain after that first leg. I really thought they didn't have a chance. Um, whereas with Ajax, I always thought that they had a chance because I remember watching them in the group stage and being very, very impressed. Um, yeah, I think I'm most surprised uh, that Manchester United are in the quarterfinals, but I have to ask, you know, who do you want? Or who do you not want?
0: All right. right. Um, in an ideal world, Porto,
2: of course. But we're not
0: that lucky, of course. Um, it's quite interesting because I have a sneaky suspicion we're going to get Barcelona.
2: Ah, uh, yeah. Do you think you can beat them? This
0: is it. I think we could. Um, I've just got a feeling that Luis Suarez and Coutinho are going to come back. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, just, I can understand I, that. I've just got a feeling. I think, I think you're looking at one of the greatest players to ever kick a football. In, in Lionel Messi and that yeah, is course. never easy but then you know what let's put Virgil van Dijk on let's
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: let's have a matchup I mean for you I mean who who would you like because you just said you'd like to see Jürgen Klopp win a, a well,
2: trophy well I mean if, if yeah I would like to see him win a trophy but if I'm brutally honest with you I'd prefer to see him win the Premier League um, yeah. and I'm sure most Liverpool fans would say the same um given all that's uh, at stake in that regard i would like to see as many non english teams match up as possible because um i know that it's probably an inevitability i think with three english teams having gone through in city liverpool oh four even goodness me yeah you you're going to you know its possibilities are through the roof that english teams are going to going to meet but i would love to see you know, a, a real spreading out of the English teams because I think it would be good to see something like, I don't know, United Porto or Liverpool Porto, United Ajax, Tottenham, Barca, City, Juventus. You know, like spread it yes. out, get everybody playing everybody else. Um, I think that's what I'd like to see given the options. Yeah,
0: I, I agree with you. I, I thought, um, uh, yeah, I thought what Man United was was, um, I have to say, you know, it's pretty impressive. I mean, you know, they just literally just hit them on the counter twice. <laughs> and, you know, and then, of course, um, a penalty as well. Um, You know, fair fair play to them. Um, I just think Paris Saint-Germain are just notorious bottlers. And I shouldn't use that word, but I feel like with all the quality that they have.
2: Yeah. I was know, talking to a friend of mine about this, and um, Ali Farhat, who's uh, a great, great journalist. He, he's, he knows Paris Saint-Germain inside out. But I think this idea of... Of Paris Saint-Germain being, um, you know, this this struggling side just because since the Barca game, it's been it's been that way. He was saying since sort of you know the late '90s, early 2000s, and uh, you know, there's so many ways to interpret it. And I think if you want a deeper discussion about it, you should chat to him because he really knows about it. But there's something intrinsic about that club and their situation um, and how they seem to throw away victory. Right when it's closest.
0: Mm, no, that would be really interesting, actually, and um, yeah, and if I you think- get them,
2: if you get them in the knockout, I mean, in another season, in another year, if you ever play them in a situation, I mean, that's that's a really interesting conversation to be had, especially if Jurgen Klopp still hasn't won a trophy by then, because there could there could be some really interesting parallels.
0: Course. and of course and I think it's no secret that the one trophy that they've always wanted is the Champions League like oh, I absolutely. think yeah because they pretty much walked their league and without breaking a sweat and um, for me again Ajax as well um, I actually watched that game instead of the British Dortmund second leg because yeah, it was pretty much over and just some of the football they play, it's, they're fearless, they, they're young, they, basically. Who would have thought that
2: Juice yeah. is it would have been Oof, yeah. such a great player?
0: <laughs> I know. Southampton again. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, they're stepping up. Yeah. And for me, that was a shock. And on the flip side, I thought, you know, the, the, the kind of team that you, the, the fixture that was kind of a little bit defensive in terms of Atletico Madrid, you know, being 2-0 up, I was like, who could Juventus do it? And, um, you know, we'll just, stick to the man and his football ability, but Cristiano Ronaldo um, I, I <laughs> believe, <diplomatic> of you. <laughs> I think it's just the best way to be, but I feel like that was a player that Real Madrid were truly missing against Ajax because uh, just individual brilliance. yeah, individual brilliance because you
2: know That's why Juventus signed him. He won that game. Emre Chan had very good games. Emre Chan had a brilliant game. We we should definitely be talking more about Emre Chan being unbelievable and slotting into that midfield. It might be a bit difficult for you if you got Juventus, watching Emery wear a different kit, but his hair looking fantastic as ever. I know,
0: it's it's hard. But you know what, I, I wish him all the best. You know, it's one of them. I mean, as, long I, as, you, right? as long as it's
2: not against you. As
0: long as it's not against us. I mean, he's you know, when a Liverpool, when a player leaves Liverpool, I unfollow them. Um, it's just, I don't abuse them. I'm not that person. I must be
2: emotional. I must be an emotional click.
0: I, did, I know, I still follow him. <laughs> <laughs> He's the one player that I could not unfollow. Uh, and of course, um, John Barshia here. Um, I want to get your quick thoughts on a uh, carrier. Um, as you know, he's at Bursikas, and um, the coach came out and said he's um something's not quite right with him. It's not clicking. The players haven't he hasn't been paid, so it's gone to FIFA. But uh, I, I believe a fair few players from Bursikas haven't been paid. I think the entire squad haven't been paid. I don't know the the ins and outs of that, but he is really struggling. Um, given. What happened to him? It's very difficult. Um, I want him to do well. I want him to succeed. Um, unfortunately, I can't see it happening at Liverpool, and it certainly isn't Besiktas. Can you see a German team maybe taking? Because I think he needs
2: to yeah, go home. I think I can see that. Uh, must be a really difficult time for him in Turkey. When there to regain his confidence when he needed it most. This situation's made it worse. Um, I think he just needs to come back and play a whole season or two under the radar for a for a team that needs a keeper and um and and not be the center of attention you know I really really feel for him I remember the podcast we did when you signed him I really truly believe that he could be the number one at Liverpool he showed every sign um of, of that being a possibility but I know a, a traumatic event like that I think it changes your life changes your career
0: and the aftermath of that as well because you got death threats and abuse
2: yeah, and I think it really does something to you as a human being as well. And I think that has a strong a strong impact on uh, on how you move forward. Um, if I look at the Bundesliga teams now who are perhaps in need of a goalkeeper, Schalke uh, next season, they're going to be in need of a change. And uh, I think there's an opportunity there maybe. Um, every other team is pretty well stocked in the keeper position. Maybe Dusseldorf, if they make a change uh, and, and they stay up, could could make a move in that regard. Um, the same could be said for augsburg, but maybe it 's best if he does take a step down and and go to a lower end Bundesliga team just to be able to to play and and get away from from some of the spotlight attention but I would really wish him all the best because I can imagine it was a very difficult situation for him, and it hasn 't gotten any easier fortunately unfortunately,
0: unfortunately. It, hasn't. it was awful absolutely awful, and I kind of want him to find his confidence his form because you know one thing that you told us was the fact that he was a very confident goalkeeper and to see him just be rattled and you know and rid of all that confidence it's actually one of the saddest things to see in in my opinion and the abuse and you know it's just uncalled for absolutely uncalled for so i hope things work out for him that is the end of this euro incision podcast i hope you enjoyed it we went quite in depth and about Liverpool and, of course, the the situation in in the Bundesliga and their teams. John, thank you so much. But before you go, um, you know, you, you announced something, so please talk about it. Week- yeah, I
2: announced that I'm uh, releasing a book this year, which is really exciting. Um, Mensch is the name. It's uh, about German coaching and and the kind of attributes and traits that that are necessary for a top coach. Uh, to perform at the highest level, I'll be talking more about it nearer the time of the release. Um, but I'm hoping to publish the release date this week or next. So uh, yeah, just keep your eyes peeled. And if you're interested in that sort of thing, then I yeah, really appreciate the support. And hopefully, you will enjoy reading it when it comes out. Absolutely, everyone's going to get it as a birthday present. Thank you
0: happening but no i mean you've been teasing it all along but um also where can people find more of your work where can they find you on twitter
2: john blog 66 on twitter and yeah I'll, as always thank you so much for having me on it's uh it's a real pleasure and um i know you won't get a german team in in the next round but fingers crossed for you i'll be uh i'll be keeping my uh my uh my, my good luck feeling for Jürgen for going for the rest of the season and uh, as as many people know I'm, I'm a big fan of Jürgen Klopp and I, I really wish that he can get the sort of success that I think his coaching deserves I've said it a long for a long time I think his success at Liverpool has already been achieved in what he's done for the club and for the community I think he's already won in that regard but we all know that football is results business and I hope he gets the results that he needs to uh to prove just how brilliant a coach he is.
0: Absolutely. And just on that, I think, you know, the old feelings of maybe having a manager like Rafa Benitez, where, you know, scalping big teams was just like, you just shrug your shoulders and those feelings are back. You know, Jürgen Klopp has a tremendous record in Europe for us in the knockout stages so you know long may that continue he's awesome we love him you, you know we do but John thank you so much for joining us and you know what you might be called up it doesn't have to be a Bundesliga team you know we, we will definitely bring you back at some maybe point maybe we we'll
2: do an Emery Chan special huh?
0: <laughs> yeah can you imagine if we get you gosh 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 yeah could you imagine but no we'll definitely bring you back do follow John um, do keep your eyes peeled on his Twitter there will be a release date for that book it is going to be fascinating um, just to see the different levels of coaching and the human element of coaching footballers as well so that'll be very interesting because we're big on that here so yeah definitely do check that out thank you so much for listening i think i'm going to be back tomorrow with another podcast looking at the the next set of fixtures who do Liverpool get. Um so no rest for the wicked, but thank you so much for listening and in the meantime I will be back with post Fulham as well for my two hundredth episode of the Nina Carlza show. Hopefully, Congratulations. I know and hopefully Veds get on top. That would be really nice.
2: That would be very nice.
0: That would be very nice. I don't think I'm getting a Rolex. Not that
2: Well I mean you need to talk to gags about this, I'm sorry, but you know
0: I know you didn't have a, this would be a better on reward on me. system in place. I know, here. I know, right? It's just absolutely shocking. But thank you so much for listening guys. Um I will be back
1: so there we have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. That was Nina Kausa speaking with uh, Jonathan Harding uh, over in Germany on on all things Liverpool Bayern Munich and the Champions League in general. So uh, that's the sort of thing that we do uh, over on the paywall side of, of Anfield Index uh, on Anfield Index Pro. And uh, there's also another show if you want to go and listen to it, and uh, that's on the reaction to the draw that was made today. Obviously, Liverpool uh, drawing against Porto, as I said at the top of the show, all you need to do to go and listen to that show and all the other shows around 30 podcasts a month is head to anfieldindex.com dot com forward slash join where you can get a seven day free trial of all the content and you can listen to that on your favorite podcast app on any device you wish so all the instructions are provided when you do that so go and have a crack at the free trial if you don't enjoy it just skip it, just cancel it. If you want to continue, then we'd love to have you. It's only uh, £4.99 a month or £49.99 per year. So some incredible value. And uh, we have all sorts on there. Obviously, the journalists that I've mentioned here, but we have tactic shows. We have a stat showing Under Pressure. We have all sorts of preview shows. We have Jan Molby. We have Sir Kenny Dalglish. We have so much going on and uh, with Liverpool competing on these two fronts and if we had been asked at the start of the season which two fronts would you want to be competing on uh, as we approach uh, mid-March then I'm sure the Champions League and the Premier League would be the two with no disrespect to either of the domestic cup competitions so uh, jump on board now and until next time up the Reds
0: Podcast Network.